Let's pray. We want to do that because God has wisdom that we need. So let's ask him for wisdom this morning and then we'll move forward through his word. Uh, Father God, I thank you so much for the chance that I've had to gather with my friends here today to worship you. Father, I know that um, no matter where we are, we can seek you to worship you. No matter where we would happen to be, we could worship you. But I thank you for this community of faith that invites us and others to worship you together. And so as much as we are, um, uh, our hearts are attuned to you, I pray that we would glorify you. I do ask, Father, that you would uh, give us your wisdom today. You are God and we are not. And Father, we get that backwards all the time. We, we think we have a right to tell you what to do, how things should be, what should, what should happen, what, how things should work. And, and it's just not true because you are God beyond the entire universe, the created universe, and we are but your creations. And so today we just ask humbly that you would visit us, uh, that your Holy Spirit would attend to us, that we would have eyes to see and ears to hear the truth of your scripture, and then a heart, a life, uh, the power to live it out. May you change us today as we engage with you, and then not just Sunday, not just here, but in the days to come, in the months to come, in the year to come, that you'll be glorified. Uh, we, we want to pursue you, Father, and the parts of us that don't are in rebellion. So I pray that we repent from rebellion and just pursue you as our Lord and our Savior. We pray this in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, so obviously we're starting a new sermon series. Uh, it's going to be, we had a lot of things coming up at Family Bible. It's going to be interesting uh, January, I would say. Um, some guest speakers coming and some things that are going on. So looking forward to that. And we're going to kind of mix this in as we go forward, okay? I was thinking about, this is the time of the year. That I, first of all, I'm not a planner. So I realized about Tuesday of last week that I had to preach today because I had planned the whole Christmas series out and then all of a sudden realized, oh my gosh, Sundays still happen in seven days after Christmas. Who knew? I don't know if I thought the rapture was going to happen or what, but after we got the Christmas Eve, I'm like, we're done. And then Tuesday, I'm like, oh, wait, no, we have to, we have to go somewhere, right? And I'm kind of joking because I, I have a longer-term plan, but the immediacy, I was like, I don't, I don't know what we're supposed to be doing, Lord. What are we doing? And was praying about that. What does it mean that we're standing on the edge of one year and leading into the next? And I've said to many of you through this year, maybe this has been a great year. Maybe it's been a terrible year. I mean, years happen. They're ups and downs, right? Life is, is, is long and long enough that you would have both probably by the time that you get here. And, and so I began to think about 2018 and thinking, and boy, a little side note, church, listen to me. God's laying some awesome opportunities out in front of us. The, the question is always, you know, how are we going to choose to respond to those opportunities? And what is God doing in the leading, right? Because we trust in his sovereignty 100% as a church. I hope you know that. Like, God is sovereign. He makes no mistakes. We're not worried about mistakes. And so the question is, how are we pursuing him in 2018? And what is God doing? And so that became my kind of question. Is like, other than in immediately at Family Bible Church, what does God want to do? That's my question. Like, what does he want to do? Because I can tell you what Bill wants to do, and I can maybe tell you what Mike wants to do, or what my wife Chris wants to do, or what my kids want to do. But what does God want to do in 2018? That's what I was thinking about. And I thought, well, there's a good chance that if I look into the Bible, we can figure out what God uh, wants to do. And so I'm going to ask you, if you would, uh, grab a Bible and turn to Luke chapter 5. And we're going to talk about what God wants to do. So Luke chapter 5, uh, verse 31 and 32 just a couple verses there. I'm going to give you a second to get there, and then we're going to read this uh, together. These are words that Jesus spoke, and you know, we just celebrated his coming last week at Christmas, and so these are, this is something that was 
Jesus was bent toward in his life. Verse 31, Jesus answered them. Well, you know, answered who? Uh, it says he went out and saw the tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth and said to him, get up and follow me. And, and he did. He left him and followed him. Pharisees came and said, well, wh why do you eat with tax collectors and uh, drink with sinners? And this is Jesus' answer. I just want to give some context, by the way. Jesus said this, it's not the healthy need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but I've come to call sinners to repent. That's what Jesus wanted to do in his life. And I want to kind of just think about that as a base idea of the things that Jesus wants to do, wanted to do, intended to do, planned to do, and will do through his church. Right? And so, because we'll get into this in a minute, but the church is rooted in what Jesus wants. That's what the church is about. All churches, by the way, rooted in what Jesus wants. They sh we should be. So first, Jesus came for the sick. Now, you'll know the story, right? I mean, where Matthew, tax collector, is sitting there taking money, and, and uh, he invites them to follow him. And the holy people say, well, why would you bother with these people? And he gives this argument. The healthy people don't need a doctor, but sick people need care. That's what he came to do, right? So Jesus came for the sick or for the infirmed. Now, you might think very literally, well, okay, so he came to what? To, to heal people. We've seen healing in his ministry. That's why he came, right? He wanted to heal people. He was going to be the best, you know, like Surgeon General ever. He's going to heal everyone all the time, all everywhere. Some of us still believe that, that God desires to heal every illness. But is that what he was meaning when he said it, it, it's not the healthy, you know, doctor, but the sick. It seems to me that he was laying out, uh, why would I sit with people who are tax collectors and sinners? Because they need to be healed. Lest you think it's about physical healing, the next verse clears it up. So you can look at it with me. Verse 32, I have not come to call the righteous, that's what he says, but I have come to call sinners to repentance. This was Jesus' goal. So, and I, you might go, okay, that's kind of obvious, right? Well, is it? I mean, is it obvious that as we live out what we see God doing, what we believe God's calling us to do, that he is fundamentally, Jesus fundamentally came to heal the sick and to call sinners to repent? Is that obvious from the church? That's what he said he came to do. Not for the righteous. Now, if you're a Bible student, and some of you are, I know you would say, well, Bill, none are righteous. He was being a little kind of um, sarcastic or, uh, you know, um, toying with the Pharisees a little bit because they thought they were righteous and they weren't. I, I know, I know, I know, I know. Listen, doesn't matter. Jesus came to call sinners to repent. That's why he came. Matter of fact, this is not the only place that he says that. It's recorded in other places as well. Repent and believe the good news. That was Jesus' message. The kingdom of God is near. So what? Repent. Change. This is why I came. You, you, you and I might say, well, you know, things were different then, right? They didn't have churches. Um, you know, I, I had a, a thought a few weeks ago. Because let me, just, let me just share something with you. 
as I dream about Family Bible Church in particular, because I'm pastoring here right now, right? I, I think about what God might be doing. I get all these grandiose ideas in my head what God's going to do. I, I see all the opportunities that lay before God, this holy throne, right? The creator of the universe, as if I see them rightly. I have all these things in my heart. And then I began to unpack that and go, if Jesus walked in, would he even want any of that stuff? Listen. If Jesus visited, and not just Family Bible Church, but a, but a lot of our churches, if Jesus showed up and looked in our churches, would he say, yes, <laughs> that's what I came to do? Or would he go, what? And believe me, I'm not talking about other people. My own life. Jesus showed up. Would he be like, yes. I'm not saying I'm a pastor. I'm saying as a Christian. Or would he go, What? See, it's so easy to fall into these kind of like holy traps, these things that we think, oh, they're so important, they're so important, and we elevate them as to, uh, and then we read the simple teaching from Jesus where he says, I came to, uh, for the sick, and I came to call the sinners to repentance, those who are not righteous to, be, to repent and, and believe good news, and, and then we realize that we aren't even close. I realize that I'm not even close. Listen, that the dreams, my dreams 2018 don't look like what Jesus dreams 2018. I gotta tell you, that's disheartening. That's disheartening. So, so what do we do? How do we change that, right? I've been encouraging you for a, 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 the last, you know, several weeks, months to, to invite people. Hey, invite people, right? Come to church. That's a great thing, right? Come to church. Um, it, it's a great opportunity. I would uh, even say that. Um, I only, some people have said that going to church will make you a Christian more than going to a garage makes you a car. I've told you this before, but if you park in the garage long enough, you think, I might be a car, you know? You look around, you're like, I'm kind of like that dude or that lady, and I, I might be a car too. You begin to believe that there may be space in the kingdom for you. You believe that the gospel might apply to you, that Jesus might have died for you, and you begin to hear the message enough, and you're kind of saturated, and you're like, yeah, this is kind of making sense. So there is some truth that you should come and join in. So here's our here's one of the things we do, right? And we work pretty hard out of here. We say, what? Come as you are. We just sang the song. We didn't even plan that, did we, Emily? That's right. That's the Lord working. I love it. That song we have never sang, to my knowledge. It wasn't in our database. Did you know that? It wasn't in our database till today. Come as you are. We say that to people. Hey, you should come to church. And that's awesome to do. But then I started thinking about this, right? I started thinking about the model that we should be following as Christians. And I thought, have there been places that I've wanted to go? Now, not even where people invite me that I didn't want to go, because that's a whole other thing. But have there been places that I've wanted to go that it's hard to go to? Because I want us to think for a minute this morning about what it means to be standing not inside the church with your friends here, but outside the church with no one that you necessarily know here, maybe one or two people. What does that look like? I want us to really, honestly, build some deep empathy for the difficulty of that. I shared with some of you, there was a group um, that meets in the, the council area called Mean. <laughs> mean. It's the Metro East Atheists Network. That's a thing. And they meet at Bert's Chuck Wagon in Collinsville once a month, uh, I guess to encourage each other in atheism. I mean, seriously, yeah, right? That's what they do. And, and, and as a believer in Christ and a former atheist, I'm thinking, I should go to Mean. I would love to meet the Metro East uh, atheist. I've told you guys this before. I bet it's been 18 months, two years ago. Do you know what I haven't done? 
I have not gone to me. Why? I'm intimidated. I'm not afraid of the gospel. I'm not afraid of having a conversation about, you know, philosophy or theology. I'm not afraid of that. I'm afraid of the people. I'm like, what am I going to walk into? How are they going to be? Are they going to throw things at me? Are they going to cuss me out? They'll probably cuss me out. Are they going to, just to see if they can get a rise out of me, right? What is it going to, now, how would I go? I mean, how am I ever going to go in there? I'm so unsure. It's a public restaurant, by the way. Anyone can go. What's wrong with me? Why won't I go? Okay. Well, maybe you have an answer to that. Tell me after service. <laughs> this is what's wrong with you, Bill. You like boldness. That's probably what it is. Listen. So something else. In St. Louis, there's a thing called Theology at the Bottle Works. It's the Journey Church in St. Louis. They go out to um, Schlafly Bottle Works once a month, and they have um, philosophical and theological conversations with the community at large. The people are invited to come in, Right? And so I said to my bride, hey, date night, we should go to Theology at the Bottle Works, you know, because that would be cool. Now, this is a whole different thing than the Mean Network, right? These are brothers and sisters. I know what church is sponsoring the event. I know it, right? And so we go down to Schlafly Bottle Works. It's an awesome little restaurant. We go inside there, and we walk in, and we're hanging out with the crowd. There's a band playing in the corner. We, we go, where, where is this thing happening? And they go, oh, it's in the back room. They reserve the back room for this event. And the closer we got, we're like, should we do this? It's open to the public. It feels weird. There was no one standing at the door to say, come on in. This is the, uh, you know, Theology of the Bible. Hey, thank you for coming. Hey, Journey Church. There was none of that because they're just, but you have to boldly go in. We did. Barely, but we did. We go in. And there was a bunch of people. They were talking. We didn't know any of them. It was really awkward. We went and sat in the corner. We're not sure, you know, what's going to happen. They might call on us. Then they very quickly say, we're not going to call on you. We go, oh, thank God you're not going to call on us, you know. What does it look like? Why would I share this story? Because it's what we say. Just come as you are. It's so easy. People are going to love you there. And you get to the door and you're like, I don't know if we can do this. I don't know if we can do this. One more illustration. See, this, uh, it sounds good, but it, it, it's pretty passive. Um, I remember I was having a conversation with my dad, and uh, we were just talking, and he'd had a near-death experience, and it freaked him out a little bit. And, um, and I said, well, Dad, you should come to church sometime. He didn't live in the area, right? And Dad did come to church here once, by the way, which is awesome. So can I say for the record, that was awesome to have my whole family being my mom, my dad, that was a God thing in a worship service since I was like never born, I think. That had never happened. And so, um, and I wouldn't even believe it when I took a picture because I'm like, this is happening. <laughs> so uh, praise God for his grace in that. But in this conversation where he's telling me some weird stuff happened near the experience, I said, well, Dad, you should come go to church sometime. Come to church sometime. And he said, um, you, and he's kind of a jokester. He said, you, you have no idea the place would fall down. Uh, I'm not good enough. To, to darken the door of a church. And this is not to say this is me, but this is what happened in the moment with my father. Um, I said, Dad, if you think the gospel is about being good enough, you don't know the gospel. Now, I would love to say I went on to explain in detail, but that right there made it awkward enough that the conversation was over. <laughs> but that's true, isn't it? 
that if you think you have to be good enough to walk through the door of a church, to hang out with church people, you're, you're, you don't understand the gospel. Matter of fact, listen, because I'm talking to you and you're here. You've made the journey across the threshold, right? That it, that's, that's unique that you did that, right? But if you're here and you think that you've come through that threshold because you're better than people who don't, you're mistaken about what the gospel is because that's not what the gospel is. That's not what the gospel is about. And so we have to rightly understand uh, the reality of the gospel. I want to share with you another verse of scripture. We're going to be working basically out of Matthew and Luke today with a few other verses um, kind of mixed in there. This is Matthew. I'm going to turn there myself. You can if you want. You don't have to. Matthew 16, 18. This is basically the beginning of the church, if you will. Matthew 16, 18. I'm going to give you a little background. Jesus is asking the disciples, who do you, who do people say that I am? And then when they say, well, this is what people say, he says, well, who do you say that I am? And then, and then Peter, Peter who sometimes gets it super right and super wrong because he's always eager to answer first, right? He's like, okay, going, ooh, ooh, pick me, pick me. He says this. Um, he says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now, this is Jesus' response. Um, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And this is the verse we're going to focus on, 18. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. That's Jesus' response to Peter's confession. You are Messiah. You are Christ. That's what I believe about you. And Jesus immediately turns around and he says, this is what I'm going to build my church on. A little bit about church history. I just got into this, um, you know, preparing this week. Um, but there are those who believe that Jesus meant, I'm going to build my church on this man, Peter. Right? That, that, that he was special. His confession was unique. And therefore, he gets to have, um, to be the rock. And, and as a matter of fact, the very next verse is one that, that, that they then build off of. They say, well, then Peter gets the keys. So the, the man, Peter, gets to decide who gets into heaven, who gets into hell, because the things that he binds on earth are bound in heaven, the things he loose on earth are loose in heaven. Therefore, he gets to decide. Peter, the confessor, Simon, son of Jonah, gets to decide from now on who goes to heaven, who goes to hell, because Jesus said, you're the rock. But here's the deal. And I know I'm preaching to the choir, but here's the deal, right? Peter just confessed that Jesus is Christ. Peter just said, you are the promise of the creator of everything. You. Who do, you, who do I say that you are? I say that you are the one that God said he was going to send to make things right for thousands of years, since the beginning of human history. That's who I say that you are. And in the moment, he says, yes, and you are Peter, and on this rock I'll build my church. Jesus' immediate response to a confession of who he is. I want to unpack it a, a little bit, but I want to start seriously saying, Jesus will build his church. Jesus builds his church on the confession that he is the Christ. That's the truth. I've had so many conversations with people, they say, you can, you can have any conversation you want, but when you start to talk about Jesus and the exclusivity of Jesus as God in the flesh, the Christmas celebration we just talked about last week, it becomes very contentious. It does. But this is the confession upon which Jesus builds his 
church. I want to talk about that then. What does it look like? Just for a second to kind of un- unpack what Jesus is saying here. I just want to find it in my Bible again. <laughs> I will build my church. That's pretty simple, isn't it? I will build my church. That's what he tells Peter. See, one of the ways we get this wrong is we think, well, we're going to build a church for Jesus. We think we're going to build a church for Jesus. Uh, Jesus, I know that you're Messiah and all-powerful, but just snap back a minute. I'm going to show you some cool tricks I can do. Right? And this is a failure across the board. Listen, he says, I build my church. I do. This is one of the problems, then, with the immediacy of thinking that you're turning over keys. <laughs> um, you're going to decide who gets in and gets out, um, but I'm going to build it, right? I'm going to build the church. Who, who is it? Um, I, w- I want you to stop for a minute and think about this. I want you to think about, we talked about this already, about everything that you th- think of a no, every scientific discovery, every revolutionary technology, everything, all creation, all the stars. I just heard a thing about light pollution and how you have to go out and go out and there's some place in Utah you can finally see like the most, the least light pollution in the States and you can see just billions of stars. You can actually see them. You can see them with your eyes. You can see these things that in our community are kind of lights that are just blazing because there's no light interference from the earth. We're not, we're not drowned by our own distraction, right? You can see the glory of God. And the confession of Scripture is, if you believe it, the confession of Scripture is that God is beyond all those things. That he's beyond all those things. And so whenever Jesus says, I will build my church, he means I, Jesus, will build my church, but he means I, Jesus, God incarnate will build my church on that confession. I want you to get the magnitude of what's being said. Who's in charge of building the church? Jesus. And how does he have, you know, authority to do it? Because he's God. (laughs) Huge. And then the second thing is he says, I will build it. We talk often about the promises of God. And I've got some great friends, and they go, oh my gosh, this generation, this generation is going to be the last generation to be a believer. There's going to be no Christians left. And I know the Bible says, when Jesus returns, will he find even one faithful, even one? I know Revelations, I've read it. It's discouraging to see the churches fail Jesus, to fail to confess him, to fail to follow their first love. I get that. But listen, it's not up to us to kind of nurse along the church in like an ICU, just hope, and it doesn't die. Oh, don't let the church die. Why? Because he says, I will build my church. You believe in Jesus for the promise of salvation for eternal life, then we can probably believe him to build his church. I think. I'm going to build my people, Jesus says. I'm going to build my church. Think about the reality of that. I've, re- I've recently heard, and I uh, may have shared with you, I recently heard that uh, Jesus was uh, more of a craftsman than a carpenter. Um, he, he may have specialized in very particular types of building like boats and homes. And you can get confused and go, Jesus is going to build a building. No, of course not. He's going to build a building. Yeah. He's going to build a people that are like a building for his glory. He's going to build his church. And then two more stops on this very tiny four-word sentence, right? I... Jesus, God, will build, right, my church. It's his. 
We talk about things. We got brothers and sisters in Christ who are following Jesus other places, and we celebrate that. Listen, why? Because it's Jesus' church. It's not our church. People sometimes come and apologetically and say, I'm so sorry. You know, I would love to come to the family Bible, but I'm like, are you in a church, man? Praise God. I hope you're following Jesus with everything you got. Do I want you here? Yeah, sure. I'd love to have more brothers and sisters here on mission, but wherever you are, praise God. Why? Because it's His church. It's his church. We get it confused. You're going to that church, you're going to this church. I love my church, you love your church. Give me a break, man. They're not our church at all. It's his church. And why do I believe that? It's what Jesus said. I will build my church. Remember? I came to call the sick. I came to call sinners to repent. I'm going to build my church. And then the last, and we're going to spend a second, we're going to move on church. What does that mean anyway? What does it mean to be a church? The Greek, I'm going to get into it, ekklesia. It means called out. It means called out ones. It does not mean a building. We know this. It doesn't even mean a, a movement. It doesn't mean an organization. It means that God is going to call people out to follow him. You do have the history of uh, Israel, the chosen people being called out. You have this kind of progression of God revealing himself over time to humanity that they might be saved. But this, in the moment where Jesus has confessed his Christ, he says, and I'm going to build my church. I'm going to call out some people, and it's going to surprise all of you. If you've read your Bible, you know it blows the mind of the apostles. One of the problems, the difficulties with apostolic secession, this idea that Peter was the guy and that everything else is based on Peter, no matter what, forever, that has to be a thing, and that there's some, you know, humanity passing on this th- somehow, is that in the first generation of believers, God's Holy Spirit broke through with people in ways that blew Peter's mind. He didn't think up a good strategy to reach the people. God just moved. I just heard about um, a controversy at the Sistine Chapel. There's a painting that was done there. And, and uh, the Roman Catholic Church found it offensive. I'm not picking the Roman Catholic Church. I get what they're offended by this. But you know what? Because when it was painted, uh, it was painted... Um, with God in the middle and all these people gathering around God. And there wasn't any person between God and these people. And they began to, wait a minute, you're trying to cut us out of our job. But the painter believed that that was right theology. That God was breaking through in Jesus Christ in a way that no one could have expected. And it wasn't about people controlling. It's about God having grace and mercy on his people. Jesus says, I will call out my people based on that confession. This is replete in scripture. It's over and over again. It happens, right? Where he says, if you're ashamed of me, I'm going to be ashamed of you in front of angels. Talking about angels in blast today, right? If you confess me, I'm going to claim you. If you, if you say that I, I know Jesus, I want to say I know you. This idea that he's going to call people out. My church called out to be witnesses of who he is. That Okay, so there you go. I will build my church. Listen, please, I'm not talking about family Bible, by the way, but just in general, let's not ever get despondent about the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know what I've experienced? The gospel of Jesus Christ? It is a spiritual war. I believe that. In our lives personally and its organizations, it's a spiritual fight. It's a fight against uh, hostility. It's a fight against apathy. It's a fight against endurance. It's a fight against life, you know. Um, things happen, right? But listen, please don't ever get discouraged about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because my experience has been, 
whenever the enemy thinks, ah, I've got him trapped here, the gospel just goes around it, man. Like, the gospel won't be stopped because it's not up to us. It's not up to us. It's not a human endeavor. It's a divine endeavor by a God who has decided he will save his people no matter what. He will work, he will reach, he will call out his people no matter what the circumstances are. And certainly, we can't stop it. If the very enemy of God cannot stop it, certainly we or others cannot stop the gospel progression. It says this, I'm going to build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. And we've heard this before, gates, right? But I was surprised to learn that same passage or same verse or same uh, structure is used in the uh, Old Testament and it means the gates of death, right? Because I always think this idea of like storming the gates of hell, like yeah, that's, and then you go, man, that sometimes doesn't work out that well or it doesn't seem like the right thing or, you know, whatever. Listen, because the Bible says we should stand in the end. Here's the, here's the message. Don't be afraid. Don't, don't you be afraid, church. We, we understand why other people might have a concern about coming, but don't you be afraid when you go out. And, and least of all, don't be afraid of death, right? Because the gates of hell, the gates of hell will not overcome the church of Jesus Christ. That is the lie that the enemy fundamentally has. As if he has the power to bring death to the people of God. Doesn't. Does not. Therefore, we believe in God's sovereignty. God's the creator of life, right? God's sovereign over every day of our life and our last. We needn't fear anything. So we can, we can live differently. We can, if the gates of hell will not prevail, we have no fear of death. We have no fear to do anything that God calls us to do. It's, it's a freedom of obedience. So, what, what alternative is there then? If it's not come as you are, and by the way, I still say that's true. You can come as you are, man. That's how all of us come to Jesus. We don't come pretty enough ever. Doesn't happen. Don't get there. So, how, what does it look like then for the church to be obedient, to function in the way that Jesus functioned in some way, by the same spirit, the same um, form that he took because uh, of we are like him because of our rebirth. We are like Jesus because of our rebirth. Um, what does it look like? So what if you and I, uh, instead of come as you are, uh, were to go as you are? Like, what if you just go as you are? Because see, part of the truth of my uncertainty of walking through the theology of works or walking into the mean is I'm not real sure how I'm going to experience that. What's going to happen to me? What they're going to think of me? Or how I'm gonna re- what's going to happen? But what if we thought, you know what, we're just going to go like we are. I've heard over the years a lot of people say, whenever I get X, I'm going to do Y, right? Whenever I get here, I'm going to go there. When I, when I get, and it starts like this. When I, get, when, I'm, when I get my life straightened out, I'm going to go back to church. That's one of the things I hear, right? Um, when I read the Bible more, I'm going to share the Bible. I'm going to share what I believe about the Bible. When, when, when I have more time in my faith, I'm, I'm going to go and talk to somebody about faith. This is the, the kind of the dis- deception that we live under that we're going to eventually be ready. But here's the truth. Uh, Jesus taught his disciples, the same ones he said, I'm going to build my church on that confession. I'm going to call people out. I'm going to go to the sinners. I'm going to go to the sick. I'm going to call them into the kingdom of God. He said, um, I'm going to give them the command. Don't be afraid. I'm going to share it with you. This is from Matthew 6, 
And I think I have it on the screens here next. If you don't want to turn there, you don't have to. You can if you want to. Matthew 6, 11 and 12. That is not the right verse. It's 16. <laughs> I apologize. I think it's 16. We'll see when I get there if it is. It's not 16, folks. All right, hang on a second. Thank, thank you. Oh, I just looked at the wrong thing. Thank you, Steve. God bless you, brother. Thank you. Okay, here we go. Um, Jesus is teaching his disciples, and he says, Why do you worry about clothes? Uh, look how the ladies are, are clothed. I tell you, Solomon was not dressed in such splendor. Um, we've heard this before. Let's get to this. So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? Now, I know that may not be what you worry about when you're going to see people, right? But he's saying, don't worry about these very normal things that everyone worries about. Matter of fact, the next verse says, because the Gentiles run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. So it's not a mystery that, that we're concerned. But look at what the implication is. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and everything will be added to you as well. What, what's the question he's asking? Do you trust God more than yourself? Like, do we trust Jesus more than our own preparation? Do we trust that God can do something in spite of our lack of preparedness? Because that sounds like lack of preparedness, not knowing what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what you're going to wear. It sounds like you're not ready for what's about to happen. And he says, don't worry about it. Your heavenly Father knows. The world chases after those things. Instead, Seek God's kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Or, or how about this? This is from Luke, and I think I do have it up here. Yeah, but I'm going to turn there as well, so if you want to, you can. This is another time where Jesus says, don't be afraid. Let me see here, Luke 12, 11 and 12, teaching the disciples. He says this. When you are brought before synagogues, rulers, and authorities, do not worry about how you will defend yourselves. Or, here it is, what you will say. Because the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. Now, you may make the argument, well, Jesus was talking to those guys in that time because they're going to go to synagogues. I don't go to synagogues. They're going to go to authorities. And this does happen in the Bible, right? They're brought before authorities to confess what God is doing. But this is true for us, that we ought not be afraid of how we have to defend ourselves or what we'll have to say, because the Holy Spirit will, what does the word say? Teach us in that moment what we should say. This is not a unique uh, teaching to this passage. It's, again, all over the Bible. As a matter of fact, in Matthew 10, 18, the same teaching says, you'll be brought before people on my account. That means that you're there because of Jesus, not in spite of Jesus. That there will be opportunities presented to you that will be presented to no one else because of Jesus, not in spite of Jesus. And in those moments, the Holy Spirit will teach you what you should say, and it will be what he wants said or taught. So the question then is this. As the church, and I'm talking the, the, the people of God, not family Bible church, are you and I ready to live out the Great Commission? Are we ready to live it out? 
had a great video. I decided not to, to show it, but it was kind of funny. It was, it was a little too insulting, I felt like, but it was very true. It had a meeting of the fishing club, and they were talking about lures and rods and reels and all the stuff they might like to use and all this and that. And they had a new person that joined the club that night, and they were talking about all this stuff. And then at the end, they were asked, do you have questions? Yeah, I have, a, I have something I want to say. Um, we're going to have a fundraiser at the fishing club. And someone else says, yeah, we're going we're gonna to have a special gathering uh, next Tuesday at my house for Christmas for the cl fishing club and all this. And then there's a, the new guy, and he says, uh, do we fish? And they're all just like, maybe. We have all the stuff. When was the last time you went fishing? See, that's kind of how it feels sometimes for all of us. Do we go out and fish? Do we go out and try? Do we, do we go as we are and listen, see what the Holy Spirit does? Matter of fact, the Apostle Paul says, by trying your faith, you prove your faith to be true. To who? Yourself. Because you tried. You learn. Because we do it. So we're ready to love the Great Commission. You know what the Great Commission says, right? It says, therefore, go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. That's the Great Commission. My favorite thing I've learned about the Great Commission, and I, by the way, I love learning with you all, is it can be interpreted, therefore, as you go, make disciples. Man, I love that. There's an assumption we're going anyway, right? You don't have to make a decision. I'm going to go make disciples. Like, you're going to go somewhere. And while you're going, make some disciples. And then some of us might say, uh, okay, but baptizing, that's not my job. A pastor baptizes, right? Really? Why? Have you read the Bible? Really? Baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you, right? Which means, first of all, we've got to know what God's commanded. And secondly, we've got to teach other people to obey it. It sounds a lot like Jesus saying, I've come to call sinners to repentance. Why not live out the Great Commission? And I think it goes uh, a little bit like this. Because I don't know that we uh, believe this. Because the Great Commission is about what Jesus said is going to happen. This is the structure around what I just read. Then Jesus came and said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Sounds like when he said, I'm going to build my church. Insert great commission there. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So it becomes, it's not about us at all. But instead, it's about what Jesus Christ said he would do. What does Jesus want from the church? What is his heart's desire for the church? This is the truth. The church is about believing Jesus. Notice I didn't say believing in Jesus. Believing that what Jesus said is true. Taking him at his word. Living in that risk area with him to say, I'm going to take your word and go and do it. A couple more verses. And we're going to be done. What does God want to do? I started with that question. In 2018, what does God want to do? Or in your life? Like, I want us to think about it. We've been here for a year together again. In 2018, what does God want to do? I know you got your plans. I know you do. I know you get resolutions. I know you do. So do I, right? But what does God want to do? First, I want to share with you from 1 Timothy 2.4. This is good and pleases God our Savior. Listen to what the Word says. Who wants all men to be saved. That's what God wants, Right? God wants um, all men 
to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. So when we think about what we want to do, how we want to be, that should be a fundamental conviction that we have. Or how about this from 2 Peter? The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. Instead, he's patient with us, not wanting anyone to perish. But listen, but everyone to come to repentance. Sounds like what Jesus said. I've come to call sinners to what? Repentance. This is God's desire, is that sinners would turn from their way and turn back to himself. That the creator of all things want us as people has created in his image to return to him in repentance. To live differently because we know the creator. This is the call. That, that this is what God wants. How does it happen? First sermon, or not first sermon, but powerful sermon, happens in Acts, the book of Acts. Peter says this, salvation is found in no one else because there's no other name. Peter, by the way, right? The rock. There's no other name given under heaven by which we must be saved. Peter says, that's the confession. Only Jesus can save. And therefore, only Jesus can call you out of a broken life. And only Jesus can call you to repentance. And only Jesus can call you into his church. And then only Jesus can send you out by the power of the Holy Spirit to share the good news with others. This is the confession of the rock that only Jesus saves. Last stop. I promise, this is true, last time. The church, this is going to be 1 Corinthians 6. I'm going to have it up here, but I, you might turn there if you want. It's a couple verses. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. Why does the church, you know, why is the church about believing Jesus? The church is full of nothing but saved sinners. The church is full of nothing but saved sinners. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11 says this. Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor the idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will enter the kingdom of God. And that ought to give us pause. Do not be deceived. Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? And you might say with, you know, um, men, uh, what must we do? How do we enter? <laughs> Here's the confession. And that is what some of you were. What? Do you, do you think that he means uh, some of you weren't? Or does he think he means that some of you had some of those problems? Huge issue is self-righteousness. Listen, the church is full of nothing but sinners. And so were some of you. But you were washed. And you were sanctified. And you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. That 
is the difference in the church. That's the only difference. So were you, but you were washed and sanctified and purified, made righteous, justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God working in you. This is why the church must believe Jesus. I want to pray with you. I don't know if you believe Jesus. I don't know what your lifestyle looks like, right? I don't know what to your besetting sins are. I know what mine are, and they're a, mu- a bunch. I have a bunch of them. I don't know what yours are, but listen, the call is to repent and turn back to God. That's what the message we're called to carry to ourselves and to others, that we ought to repent. And then secondly, we should believe good news, that God did send his son to wash us and sanctify us and purify us and make us holy and righteous and call us into his kingdom, be his people. And then the great commission. As we go, make disciples, teach them to it. Everything is commanded. Well, repent and believe good news. And where you are today, and as I'm serious as I can be, 2018 church, whatever it looks like, I pray that you are sold out following Jesus. I mean it. And if you don't know him, there's no life like it. There's no life like it than following Jesus. And if, and if, if you're following him, you know the experience of it. It's like, yeah, you get glimpses and then there's failures and you feel it and you want more of it and you sometimes, you know, you don't get there. But listen, God is going to build his church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. Pray with me if you would. Father God, we thank you so much for the confidence we can have in your promises to your people. Ultimately, this is about your work, Father, but we, we are called to repent. I pray that we would turn away from dead and lifeless idols, from false hopes and false expectations. Oh, Lord, the worst is that we think we sit on the throne and command you. We think that by manipulation or deeds or anything else, by our prayers, or our, that we're going to somehow move you in a way that you're not already moved, you're already bent toward us. Father, would you help us just to get out of your chair? Would you help us just to believe good news that you're in charge and you're building your church? And then, Father, for us, we go forward in 2018. Lord, my prayer is you make it a great year for you. I mean, who are we to think that we, we deserve anything from you? The fact that you would be living and, and uh, moving in our life is more than we could hope for or imagine. So 2018, Father, make it glorious for you. Make it grandeur for you. Make the people just stand in awe of who you are. And Father, may we be one of those people who would just stand in awe of the work that you're doing in Jesus' name. We love you so much. We thank you for it. We, we do you know, set aside our sinfulness and we just want to embrace righteousness that you have for us through your spirit. Help us to be obedient to you. We love you so much. We thank you for the time you spent with us today, the time in your word. May you be glorified as we process it and live it out. In Jesus' name, amen.